Well, good morning, church at nine. Uh, it's wonderful uh, that we can gather online this morning uh, to listen to God's word. Uh, it'll be very helpful for everyone, uh, if you have a Bible, uh, to have it open at Exodus 28 um, as we look at this passage together this morning. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer and then let's uh, get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Uh, that you are a God who loves us uh, and who speaks to us. And uh, Father, we pray that as we uh, now turn our attention to your word, uh, would you please uh, teach us, uh, rebuke us, correct us, um, and train us in righteousness uh, so that we might live lives that please you. Uh, Father, we ask that you would rid our minds of all distraction uh, so that we might listen carefully and uh, may your Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts, that we would receive it, and that we would uh, be uh, those who put into practice the things that we hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever had a guilty conscience? Have you ever felt really dirty inside, uh, perhaps because of something wrong that you have said? Have you ever had sleepless nights because of something that you've perhaps done, which was deeply shameful and it keeps on bugging you? Uh, it was Friedrich Nietzsche who once claimed that human guilt would one day be a thing of the past. Uh, you might know that Nietzsche uh, was the philosopher who famously claimed that God is dead. Uh, what Nietzsche boldly predicted was that uh, as belief in God or God's decline in this world, then guilty consciences will be a thing of the past. However, it does seem, doesn't it, that feelings of guilt have not actually decreased in our world, but have actually increased. Um, not only has our society grown even more religious, but our society has grown more moralistic and judgmental than ever. Rather than the Christian ideal, ideas of forgiveness and grace and mercy, uh, we live in what, what is called a call-out culture, where moral failings are called out and punished and hounded out of society. Now, the idea of guilt is certainly there in our society, and guilty consciences have not disappeared. Uh, further, you can see guilty consciences as people approach the end of their lives. Uh, many pastors will tell you that um, there are many people on their deathbeds who look back on their lives with deep regret. Many feel guilt for things not said or done for loved ones, for apologies not made or not received, for kindnesses refused or unkindnesses done which are now beyond forgiveness, for wasted opportunities or, or even a wasted life. And as people contemplate meeting their maker, well, there is a great unease about meeting him with this guilty conscience. Uh, even in Christian circles, uh, it is possible to live with a guilty conscience, isn't it? 
Uh, you know, some of us are so aware of our sin and fail, uh, sins and failures and perhaps lack of progress in our Christian lives that we can live with a, a constant level of guilt rather than enjoying God and serving him freely. Uh, we can often feel guilt and shame and hide from God rather than serving him joyfully in our lives. Now, have you ever had a guilty conscience? Are you living in guilt so that you are hiding from God and not serving him as you should in your life lives? What are we to do with guilt? Well, we've been looking uh, at the book of Exodus for a while. Um, for those of you who might be tuning in for the first time today, uh, last week um, we looked at the tabernacle or um, this tent um, that the Israelite uh, people were instructed to build, uh, at, which was a place where God had chosen to dwell amongst his people. But today uh, we'll be looking at chapters 28 to 30. Uh, we'll be taking a quick bird's eye view through those chapters. Uh, but these chapters speak of the priests who are to serve uh, at the tabernacle. And I want to suggest that the priests were the ones who were chosen by God to deal with the guilt of the people of Israel so that they might indeed be able to meet with God and serve him freely. And so if you want to deal with guilt in your life, then you and I need to listen to what God has to say about the priesthood. We must understand something about the priesthood. Uh, well, friends, uh, in our passage, you can see something of the function of uh, the priesthood, uh, as Derek mentioned, in the clothing that they were to wear. Uh, you might have noticed that uh, chapter 28 uh, of Exodus is all about the clothing that God instructs the priests to wear, especially Aaron, uh, the brother of Moses, who is to be the chief among the priests uh, or the high priest. And so uh, what do we learn about the function of the high priest from his clothing? Well, firstly, you can see that the high priest is a representative. On the one hand, he represents God himself. Uh, that's why he's given such fancy clothing here. Uh, you can see it there in uh, chapter 28, verse 2. Uh, if you have a look at your Bibles at chapter 28, verse 2, Moses is told, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. You see, because the high priest is representing God himself and acting on behalf of God, well, he needs to wear clothes that are fitting for the task. The clothing needs to be glorious and beautiful, reflecting the glory and beauty of God himself. Uh, you know, it's a bit like when Prince William and Princess Kate go on official duty around the world. Uh, you know, when they tour the world, there's a lot of interest in what they are wearing, isn't there? For you see, you cannot represent the crown and just go around in your tracksuit and slides. You have to dress in a way that is fitting in the light of who you represent. Uh, I think the same thing is being said here of the high priest whose clothing is 
for glory and for beauty. Uh, for glory and for beauty, fit for representing God himself. However, on the other hand, notice that the high priest represents the people of Israel as well. Uh, you can see this clearly in the first item of clothing that is described there, uh, which is the ephod. Uh, the ephod was sort of like a tunic that the high priest was to wear. But uh, the important thing about this ephod is that on the shoulders were two black onyx stones which were engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, you can see it there in chapter 28, verse 12. Chapter 28, verse 12. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. In other words, Aaron was to represent the people of Israel and uh, carry them into God's presence whenever he approached God in the tabernacle, at least symbolically. Uh, further, you can see that the high priest represents the people of Israel in the second designated item of clothing, which is the breastpiece that uh, goes over the, the, the ephod. For on this piece of clothing, there were to be 12 precious stones engraved with the names of the 12 sons of Israel. You can see um, uh, an artist's depiction of that there. Again, the idea is that the high priest would represent the people of Israel and carry them on his heart as he went into the holy places in the tabernacle as part of his service. However, secondly, did you notice that this breastpiece is described in verse 15, for example, as a breastpiece of judgment. Now, what does it mean for this breastpiece, which, which has precious stones with the names of the sons of Israel embedded into it, to be called the breastpiece of judgment? It sounds kind of ominous, doesn't it? As though God was intent on judging and punishing and condemning his people, the people of Israel, for their sin. However, I want you to see that the word judgment here can also mean decision. Uh, it probably has something to do with the Urim and the Thummim mentioned in verse 30, which was also carried inside the breastpiece of judgment. Uh, what is the Urim and Thummim? Uh, well, it's impossible to know with certainty, uh, but it was probably a set of stones that communicated God's decision or God's will in some way to the high priest. And so I think what the breastpiece of judgment is meant to symbolize is God's decision about his people, the people of Israel, and in particular, his decision that they are precious to him. And that's why the names of the sons of Israel are engraved on 12 precious stones such as emerald and sapphire and diamond, which you'll see there in the passage. Uh, it's symbolic of God's decision that his people are precious to him and valuable to him. In the language of chapter 19, they are his treasured possession, fit for serving him and making him known in this world. 
but here's the thing. The point of all this is that you cannot have this verdict of God over your life, that you are precious to him and valuable to him, uh, that you are God's treasured possession without the work of the high priest. Uh, that's the big message here. If you want to be right with God, then you need the high priest. And this is evident in the third item of clothing, which is the robe, which uh, presumably was worn underneath the, the ephod and the breastpiece. Uh, you can see the significance of the robe there in uh, verse 33. Chapter 28, verse 33 says, uh, On its hem, or on the hem of the robe, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem, with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the globe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. You see, friends, this robe is decorated with pomegranates, uh, which is probably meant to remind you of the Garden of Eden and the idea of coming home to God, as we saw last week. However, notice that this robe also has bells to indicate that the high priest was approaching God in the holy places in the tabernacle. For if a person who was not the high priest approached the holy place, well, he would be struck dead for his sin. It's not that God wouldn't know who was there unless he heard a bell, but it's meant to be symbolic. It's meant to say that you cannot have God's verdict, that you are precious to him and that you are treasured by him and that you are right with him without the high priest. Uh, you need him. Well, the final function of the high priest that is mentioned in chapter 28 is that of making the gifts which the people of Israel bring to God holy and acceptable to him. Uh, you can see it in the fourth item of clothing that is described in our passage, which is a golden plate fastened to the turban, which was a piece of headwear worn by the high priest. Uh, on the golden plate uh, were inscribed some words, uh, which uh, is in Hebrew there, but uh, the words read, holy to the Lord. Uh, what was made holy or, or set apart for the Lord because of the work of the high priest? Well, the thing that was made holy or set apart to God were the gifts that the people brought to God. Uh, you can see it there in verse 38. Verse 38 says, It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall, be regular, it shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Uh, you see, friends, even the things that we offer to God or we give to God are stained by sin, aren't they? Uh, you know, all the time and energy and perhaps money that you and I give to God in serving him, um, they're all stained by sin. Uh, we are often falsely motivated, for example, 
we are often half-hearted. Even the best of our works are like filthy rags before God. And yet here, the people of Israel are encouraged to see that because of the work of their high priest, even their gifts to God can be made holy and acceptable to him. But can you see that the work of the high priest, friends, has everything to do with removing the guilt of sin from the people of Israel? It is only through the high priest's work as a representative of God and of the people that such guilt can be removed. It is only through the high priest's work that God can give the decision that his people are precious to him. It is only through the high priest's work that even the gifts of the people can be made holy and acceptable to God. And at the end of chapter 28, well, you see this strange reference to underwear in verse 42. Now, why is there mention of the priest's Calvin Klein underwear here? It's almost um, out of the blue, isn't it? And it's almost a little bit embarrassing, you know, thinking about the underwear covering up the private parts of Aaron and his sons. But you see, that's precisely the point. It's meant to be a vivid reminder of what happened at the Garden of Eden. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? When they first asserted their independence from God by refusing to obey his word? Do do you remember what happened? Well, they realized that they were naked. That they, they were ashamed. They had guilty consciences, so they ended up hiding from God and, and running from him. For you see, that's what sin does in our lives. It makes you guilty before God so that you hide from him as a result of your guilty conscience. But here, there is hope that through the work of the high priest, God himself will cover up the nakedness and he will cover up the guilt and the shame of sin in the people of Israel by dealing with those things. Now, how then will the work of the high priest deal with the nakedness, the sin and guilt and shame of the people of Israel so that they might know God and serve him in their lives? Well, chapter 29 is all about consecrating the priests so they might be set apart to do their work in the tabernacle. But what is their work? Well, um, as we'll see in this chapter, it is to offer sacrifices to God which will atone for the sin and guilt of the people. Uh, You can see this in the consecration process itself. Uh, It's described in our Bibles as a four-step process. Uh, Firstly, in chapter 29, verse 4, uh, if you have a look at chapter 29, verse 4, the priests are washed in water, uh, presumably as a symbol of purification. Uh, Secondly, in verse 5, the priests are clothed in the clothing that we've already looked at. Uh, Thirdly, in verse 6, the priests are anointed with oil 
as a sign of their ordination as priests. Uh, but finally, did you notice that the priests are to make certain sacrifices for themselves? For how can they offer sacrifices to deal with the sin and guilt of others if they are sinful and guilty before God themselves? And so uh, we are told there that three animals are to be sacrificed. Uh, in verse 10, it is a bull that is to be sacrificed or offered as a sin offering. In verse 15, a ram is to be offered as a burnt offering. And in verse 19, uh, a second ram is to be offered as a wave offering. Uh, now, it's unclear what exactly a wave offering is in the Bible. But the symbolism of these sacrifices, at least, is clear, isn't it? For you see, before each of the animals are slaughtered, uh, you may have noticed that Aaron and his sons are to lay their hands on the animal, symbolizing that their sin and guilt is now transferred onto the animal. Uh, then the animal is slaughtered in their place to pay the penalty that their sin deserves. And what does this sacrifice achieve? Well, at least in a symbolic sense, it achieves fellowship with God. Uh, that's why the priest can enjoy a meal in God's presence after the sacrifice is, is made by eating some of the, the meat of the sacrifice. Uh, you can see it there in verse 31, chapter 29, verse 31, which says, uh, you shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the entrance to the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. Now, it is only after the priests are consecrated that they can begin the regular work of the tabernacle, which is to offer sacrifices uh, not on behalf of themselves, but on behalf of the people of Israel. Uh, you can see it there in verse 38, where the priests are to sacrifice every single day two lambs that are a year old, uh, one in the morning and one at twilight, in order to deal with the sin and guilt of the people of Israel. And it is because of these sacrifices that God can dwell with his people and his people can come to know God and serve him. And that's why the chapter ends with uh, these magnificent words in verse 45, speaking of God's uh, dwelling with his people. Verse 45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell with them. I am the Lord their God. Now, friends, <clears throat> uh, what does all this mean for us? Uh, it's, a, it's a very detailed passage, isn't it? And uh, very uh, um, uh, complicated in, in some ways. But what does all this mean for us? Well, in order to understand this, uh, we need to understand what happens next. For at the beginning of chapter 30, you can see there that that we are introduced to another item of furniture in the tabernacle or the tent of Israel. 
And uh, this uh, item of furniture is an altar on which incense was burned. Uh, what did it look like? Well, um, this altar was essentially a wooden box, about half a metre in length and half a metre in breadth and about one metre in height. Uh, it was covered in gold like the other furniture that we saw last week. And on top of this altar, the priests would burn incense, which would create a cloud of smoke rising up to the ceiling. Uh, one commentator calls it a cloud-making machine, a little bit like a smoke machine that you would find at a, at a modern concert, for example. But friends, uh, what does this remind you of? Uh, where have we seen a cloud of smoke before in the book of Exodus? Well, do you remember back in chapter 19, uh, we saw a cloud of smoke on Mount Sinai as God terrifyingly descends on the mountain? Uh, back in uh, chapter 19, verse 18, uh, if you want to just flip back there with me, chapter 19, verse 18 of Exodus, uh, we are told, now Mount Sinai was wrapped up in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. In other words, the cloud of smoke on Mount Sinai represents God's presence. And if you remember, the people of, God, uh, people of Israel could not approach the blisteringly holy God on this mountain that lay on the other side of that cloud of smoke, for they would die for their sin. And I want to suggest that this altar of incense was meant to remind the people of Israel of Mount Sinai. It was meant to visually remind Israel of God's presence and the fact that guilty and sinful people are not able to come into God's presence and live. Uh, that's why the altar of incense was placed in the first room in the tabernacle. You remember the tabernacle had two rooms. The altar of incense was, was placed in the first room in the tabernacle called the holy place, just in front of the thick veil which covered the second room called the most holy place which was where God had chosen to dwell. You see, whenever the people uh, thought about the first room in the tabernacle, it shouted to every Israelite, you cannot go into the second room. You cannot go into the presence of God. Don't ever imagine that you can go in there and live to tell the tale. Uh, how often even the priests must have looked longingly at the veil that led to the second room where God was. Uh, wouldn't you have wanted to just uh, peep behind that curtain to see a glimpse of God? Just a little peep to see what he was like? But not even the priests would dare to do that. Why? Well, it was because their consciences were still guilty. 
But when you turn to the New Testament, what you find is that the Old Testament tabernacle and the priesthood, the Old Testament priesthood, were just big visual aids which are meant to show the reality that has now come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the tabernacle, and especially the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt, was meant to be a picture of heaven itself. And the priesthood was meant to point to Jesus and the reality of him being the ultimate high priest. But unlike the Old Testament priests who had to sacrifice animals day after day, um, animals which really cannot deal with the guilt of sin, well, what Jesus did was he sacrificed his very own life once and for all at the cross. And as he ri uh, rises to life and ascends to heaven through the clouds, well, Jesus brings all those who trust in him to God. He is our high priest that carries us to God that we might know him and that we might serve him with clean consciences. Uh, our, our New Testament reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14, uh, puts it like this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so, my brothers and sisters, uh, if you have put your trust in Jesus, then you need to know that as your high priest, he has sacrificed himself to cleanse you from your guilt and sin and shame so that you no longer need to live with a guilty conscience. Further, he has carried you into the very presence of God himself who accepts you rather than condemns you because of Jesus' sacrifice. And it is because of Jesus' sacrifice that even your service and my service, the, the filthy rags that we bring, are made acceptable to God. It's as though when Jesus ascended into heaven, he had your name and my name written across his heart, like those precious jewels, so that he could carry us to God himself, that we might now live with clean consciences, knowing God and loving him and serving him with our lives. Now, will you remember this? especially as you go through difficult times in your Christian life or perhaps when you stumble and fall again 
uh, to the same sin yet again that you know you shouldn't have committed? Or when you go through periods of doubt in your Christian life, will you remember to look upwards to your high priest? Will you see your name written across his heart? Will you see that he has carried you into God's presence forever by making an end to all your sin and guilt? And will you stop hiding from God and serve him with great joy and with a clean conscience? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, our great high priest. I thank you that he is the high priest whom we need. Thank you that although our sin brought only separation from you, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ was the one who shed his very own blood once for all to bring an end to all our guilt and shame in a way that the sacrifice of bulls and rams could never do. And thank you that through his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, he has carried us to you so that we might know you and love you and serve you in our lives. Now, Father, we pray that if any of us have not yet put our trust in Jesus this morning, that you would cause them by your power and by your spirit to trust him today. If any of us are struggling with guilt in our lives and are hiding from you and not serving you as we ought, we pray that you would help us to look upwards and see our great high priest who has brought an end to all our sin and guilt and shame and help us to repent so that we might serve you with the joy of consciences cleansed uh, by the blood of our Lord Jesus. For we pray this in his mighty name. Amen.